Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you. Thank you for joining me again today. We're going to be looking today back in our Matthew's Gospel study, Yeshua, Son of David, exploring Matthew's Gospel. And we will be in Lesson 31 today, and I've titled this, The Storyteller. And I want to explain why I titled it such. The Storyteller. During Jesus' ministry, he spends much time teaching the truth of God's Word to the people in ways they can understand, as we see him doing from this point forward at various times in special ways. Most of these special teachings we call parables. In Matthew 13 today, we begin to see many of these parables. We saw a few others already in this study that have already been given or explained, such as the understanding of the old garment and the new patch, and the old wineskins and the new wine. But beginning here, he will officially start using parables to teach heavenly truths in earthly ways. Parables are simply basically narrative fictional stories or stories that are told that in the story and in the elements of the story, you can understand a deeper meaning or the truth behind that, the moral of the story, so to speak. So by the use of story or narrative fiction, but not entirely fictional in this sense, the fiction aspect is to connect with the hearer in a way or fashion that they can easily connect with, they can understand, through story form, through story elements. In this sense, Jesus is the great storyteller. Not that he's telling lies or tales such as once upon a time type stories. We're talking about him using natural things to communicate spiritual or heavenly truths. He is the great storyteller communicating great truths to people in simple ways for them to understand. Heavenly truths cloaked in human story form or in narration. These parables that Jesus uses are not fictional as much as they are natural examples of these truths he is communicating in the heavenly messages that he's bearing out. Sowing seed farming, harvesting, planting a seed and it growing to a tree, a bride waiting for her groom, a businessman entrusting goods to stewards to take care of them and to manage them. All of these types of things draw on natural events that the Jews would experience and understand easily in order to communicate in like form or fashion the greater and deeper truths of God. Even in the Old Testament, there are many pictures and types or shadows. But in all, according to Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, the substance, the sound whole of it all, the the main point of it, is Christ, is Jesus Christ. And all of these are types or shadows or pictures of Jesus. It's metaphor, it's simile. Those kinds of things are what we're talking about. In parables, the meaning is hidden or cloaked in a form of mystery. 
Paul speaks of several mysteries, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of godliness, etc. In the story itself, or the metaphor or simile itself, is found this mysterious, hidden truth that comes in understanding these parables. Notice that as we go through these, you'll note that even the disciples did not fully understand the meaning behind the stories that Jesus told. And we will see that in subsequent lessons as we go through these parables. Jesus has to explain the deeper meaning even to them. Through his ministry, he explains the scriptures in many ways. He will say things like, You have heard that it was said, and then he talks about, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, even if you lust after someone in your heart, you have committed adultery in your heart. So Jesus is explaining and expounding the true meaning behind what they knew from the scriptures. He cared not just about the letter of the law, so to speak, but more importantly about the spirit of the law, the spirit of the matter and the heart of the message. That's why we find Peter in John chapter 6 saying, Where else can we go? For you alone have the words of life. In John chapter 6, I'd like to read verses 61 through 69 before we get to Matthew. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus alone has the words that are spirit and that are life. We understand story form in the sense of books, novels, movies, etc. that do the same kind of thing. You can think, for instance, of some great Christian movies that you recall that have a very powerful, potent message. Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, for instance, or the movie Courageous, or the movie Chariots of Fire, or another such. They're telling a deeper truth or communicating something very special in a truth-filled message that's cloaked in story form. The story elements may be partially fictional, partially real, but the message is not fictional at all. The message is communicated through the story, and it is very well perhaps true and needed. The story is simply a way to cloak that and to bring it to people to understand the true message in easy ways. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 13, which is where we are in our Matthew study. I want to read verses 1 through 17 and then we're going to focus on a particular portion of that today, and we will pick up the actual parables 
and more in detail about those in the next lesson, beginning in the next lesson. First, we need to understand more about parables and why Jesus uses these, as this is only the, his first official parable that he begins to set forth, and we will see many more to come. So let's read Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 through 17. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. So here we see Jesus explaining why he will be using parables so many times. Parables are those stories that speak in natural ways to communicate heavenly truths. He uses these to expound God's truth in a way to help people see the picture and understand it. One definition of the word for parable is to place two things side by side and compare them. So he's using, for instance, in this illustration that he begins with, he's telling us about this parable of the sower who goes out and sows all kinds of seeds. And so we find him later when he explains it, we will see that he places two things side by side and compares them as he explains this parable. Did Jesus just randomly begin to speak in parables, or was it planned all along? Let's look to find the answer in the writings in Psalm chapter 78. I want to read verses 1 through 8. This was delivered and written 
by the prophet Asaph. We don't always think of Asaph as a prophet because he was one of the chief musicians in the days of the worship in the tabernacle of David and the worship in the temple. So we don't always think of Asaph as a prophet, however he is. He's noted to be a prophet in several places in the Old Testament. This is one of his prophecies of the coming Messiah, who we are studying, Yeshua, the son of David. I want to read Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, meaning hidden, things that were not understood. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. So he's explaining here, Asaph is explaining in this prophecy of Messiah that one of the things he will do is he will speak in parables. He would expound and teach God's law through the use of parables, similes, metaphors. It also can mean a proverb or an adage, a maxim. In our day, we may say something like, raining cats and dogs. We don't mean that outside, literally, cats and dogs are falling from the sky. We are talking about, for instance, that that is a metaphor, you might say, or an adage or a proverb that's not taken literally, but it is communicating to someone that we're in a heavy rainstorm or a heavy downpour of rain. So Asaph prophesies here of the Messiah that he would speak in parables. He would be able to communicate mysteries, things that had been hidden, eternal truths with these kinds of stories, with these kinds of proverbs or natural examples. People could understand these because they could easily relate to them. They also were in common language, not cloaked in fancy words, not some kind of elitist language that only a scholar would understand. He spoke to the people in terms they could hear and they could identify with. God wants us to know and understand his word. And so Jesus proves this here in his use of parables. However, according to the prophets, Jesus' use, the Messiah's use of parables would also serve a second purpose that was also prophetic of the coming Messiah. Let's look in Isaiah chapter 6. And I want to read verses 1 through 10. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, 
each one having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Then he quotes the exact prophetic word that Matthew quoted in that passage in Matthew 13. And he, meaning God, said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Now, it wasn't that God was saying, I don't want to heal them, but God was not going to deliver to them truths in a way that they could then trample under them because of their heart's condition to refuse his word. We'll see that in a moment. God's special way to communicate eternal truths in a way that is hidden from them, from those who will mock and scoff, is what he's talking about here. Not that they wouldn't understand it, because even many times when Jesus spoke these parables, the Pharisees understood them, because through these, it revealed to the Pharisees, to some of the leaders in the Jewish nation, their evil heart. They would not believe. They would not receive God's word, even though they had it. They had physical eyes, but they refused to see what God was saying. They refused to be corrected. They refused to accept the word that would bring them life ultimately if they would have submitted to it. They would not heed the message. It revealed a willing refusal on their part. Let's see more of this in Jeremiah Chapter 5, verse 21. Jeremiah prophesies about this. He says, Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. And then in chapter 6, verse 10 of Jeremiah, God is speaking and he says this, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. So Jeremiah in these two passages is showing that just because someone has physical ears and might be sitting in an auditorium and hearing a message does not necessarily mean that the person is really hearing. They may not be truly listening. They may not be letting it in. They may not be letting it take root with the intent to heed and obey and learn. Why? 
because they're rejecting his word. They have no delight in it. Now I want us to read in Zechariah chapter 7 of Zechariah. I want to read verses 4 through 12. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, during those seventy years, did you really fast for me? For me? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous and the south and the lowland were inhabited? Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion every one to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien and the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his neighbor. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. So here Zechariah is just recounting for them that this was what got you in trouble in the first place. He said, didn't you over those 70 years when you were in Babylonian captivity, were you really reaching out to me? Were you really fasting for me? Were you trying to still have communication with me? And then he's giving them the warning. He says, don't go down that path that your forefathers went down that sent you into the Babylonian captivity to begin with. And so he tells them what it was. He says that they were proud and rebellious. They were unwilling to listen to him. They threw his word off. They refused to hear. They went and stopped their ears up. So for the proud and rebellious, the parables that Jesus will tell are a way for God to keep back his holy things from their understanding and expose their evil heart and rebellion. Jesus had already told us earlier in Matthew not to cast pearls before swine. In other words, Jesus was aware that they were not going to treasure those things and he refused to give them complete, clear understanding when he knew that they were going to refuse it because they would not submit to the word of God. The parables became convicting for them. And we can see that as we go through some of these in the reaction that they had. These parables would show how they refused and rejected God's precious word. The apostles, especially Paul, also understood this as they too expounded on the holy things, sometimes called the mysteries of the gospel or the mysteries of the kingdom. The Greek word for mystery is mysterion, and it means something that has been there all along. It's not something brand new. It's not some new revelation. It's not some new magical thing that has just appeared. It's something that's been there all along. It's a truth that's been true all along, but it has been veiled. It has been cloaked. It's kind of like if you had a curtain or a drape or a door or something, and you open that or you pull back a curtain to see what was behind it all along. It reminded me of an old TV game show that used to be on the on the airways many years ago. There were several. One was called Let's Make a Deal. And it, they would have door number one, door number two, door number three kind of thing. And so, you know, somebody 
was supposedly going to win whatever prize was behind those doors. And so the person didn't know what was behind it until they made their choice and the door was opened in that show. It's a similar thing with this Greek word for mysterion. It means something that you don't really see. It's been there all along, but you don't know it until you have the curtain pulled back or the door opened so that you can see it. It's been hidden until now. Still been there all along, but it has been hidden until now. And now the revealing of that will come to your understanding. And then we can understand it. We can see it. We can get it, so to speak. Jesus himself indicated such, and the apostles also taught it. Now let's look at this section in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, verse 9 and 10. This is this same account in Luke's gospel that we just read in Matthew 13. In verse 9 of Luke chapter 8, it says this, Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables that, and then he quotes the prophetic word we just read, seeing that they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Why was it given to them and not to others? The answer to that question comes in the fact that the disciples had chosen, accepted God's call to follow him, to become his Talmudim, as we talked about in an earlier episode, his disciples. They chose to open their ears, to listen and learn. They had an open ear. They had an intent to hear and to obey and learn from their master, from this great rabbi that they were following. Versus those who chose to have a closed ear and refuse to hear God's precious word because they refused to accept it. They refused to submit to it. They refused to obey it. They had no intention of hearing and obeying, but the disciples did. So because of that, it was given to them to understand these mysteries. I'll never forget many years ago, I had a grandchild. He was very young at that time, and he I had to, to correct him about something. He didn't like it. So he, he ran over to a chair and sat in the chair and then stuck his hands to close off his ears, you know, and he closed his eyes and he was just, he was trying to communicate to me in that action. I don't want to listen to you, nanny. I don't want to have anything to do with what you're saying. I don't like it and I'm getting away and I'm going to close off my ears. I don't want to hear it. That's what I think of when I think of these Jewish leaders and these Jewish people that would close off their ears, these that Isaiah prophesied about, these that Jeremiah prophesied about, these that Zechariah prophesied about, these that Matthew and Luke record for us, their closed ear is because they refuse to hear. It's not that they can't understand it. It's that they won't. They're making an intentional choice to resist and refuse to understand. And therefore, God chooses to cloak the meaning, the deep meaning in these parables, and it reveals their evil heart, those who didn't want to hear. The disciples wanted to learn and understand. They had open ears. 
Remember, Jesus had said to them, He who has an ear, meaning an open ear, a ear to listen, a ear to hear and heed my words. That's what he was talking about. They had open ears. They inclined their ears to God's word. And I want to say this, for the hungry, those who want to hear the word of God, God will fill them one way or the other. He will make himself known to them. He will teach those who want to learn from him truly. The apostles understood this, and they understood their responsibility. And as we draw to a close, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. The apostles, the disciples, they understood as they grew in the Lord, as they understood more about him through his teachings and after his death and resurrection. They understood their responsibility as being given these mysteries from the Lord and the understanding of them. And Paul speaks about it right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to read verses 1 and 2. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards, stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. The apostles understood that they were stewards of these mysteries, these truths that Jesus was revealing to them and had revealed to them. They were entrusted with the understanding so that they could then explain them and share them to others. But in the end, they knew that they must be found faithful with this stewardship. God will feed everyone who is sincerely hungry for his word, but he treasures his truth too much to waste it on those who won't and those who don't. In Matthew 7 verse 6, I referred to this earlier, when Jesus himself said, don't cast your pearls before swine. The holy things of God are some of these mysteries and they're reserved for Jesus' disciples even today. We too, that know Jesus and that are learning of him, are entrusted with this stewardship. God wants us to treasure his word and to understand it and to steward it, sharing it with others, reaching all those who are hungry for the truth and who will truly listen. Therefore, Jesus is the great storyteller to communicate the heavenly needful messages of the kingdom and of the Lord to common folk through the use of parables. So throughout the remainder of the Gospel of Matthew and other Gospels as well, bring this out as well, Jesus will choose to use parables at various times as he is the storyteller come from God to help us know him and understand God's word. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and Lord willing, you can join us again for future messages and episodes of this Yeshua Son of David exploring Matthew's gospel study. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.